How would you characterize a good father? In the, in the best possible image you can think of as what that would mean. A good father. What a good father does for his daughters, for his son. What he, how he helps them, how he leads them. And I think the best, what, what a father wants is, is the best for his children. So you have, you could say that is the father's will. A father's will for daughters and sons is that they would make good choices, make godly choices to, to follow the way of love, to know forgiveness. Father's will is for them to learn from their mistakes, to, to make amends when possible, and, and, and to, to, to grow as young men, as young women. That's, the, that's a, a good father's will, is that his children would grow, grow in love, and, and grow to, to honor him by the way that they act, the, by, by the choices that they make, by the person they are, the character they develop, would look well to their father because of their love for him. The will of God, the Father, is the same as the will of a good earthly father. He wants his children to choose the way of love. Today I've, I've chosen to speak about the will of God, which can be a very in-depth and um, confusing, even controversial topic. How can we know the will of God? What is the will of God? Is it, is it, is it even completely knowable? Those are questions that... that I've had myself, I think, to a large extent, we all do. And I receive those questions from time to time as pastor. And while this is, in a lot of ways, a very broad topic, I want to help to, to simplify the will of God by doing what we need to do, probably uh, more than we, than we act upon this, that is to go back to the Word. And because... While the will of God is, is mysterious, when you have multiple scripture verses, scripture um, texts that say directly the will of God is, that's where we should start. We go right back to the word and say, where does it say that the will of God is this and that? And that's exactly what I want to do this morning in these moments together is go to the Word, and there's several passages on, on your outline. You can follow along. And the, and the first of these is in John 17, excuse me, John 7, 17. The will of God is our choice. In this passage in the seventh chapter of John, Jesus is once again being confronted by those who oppose him, by the religious leaders who are jealous of his attention and, and don't want, want to somehow discredit him. And they're, they're basically saying that, you know, you don't 
What authority do you have to teach? You're not one of us. And he simply says this in the 17th verse. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. It's just that first part of that sentence I want you to pay attention to. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God. That alone tells us that the will of God is to give us choice. The will of God is to say to you and to all humanity, you can go this way or this way. He willed for us to choose. And he wants us to choose him, but as the saying goes, the, the, the ball is in your court. And, and every day in, in almost countless ways, we, we have that choice. Are we going to choose the will of God in our circumstances and our decisions and in our relationships and how we structure our lives? And, and, and so many ways are we consistently, persistently choosing his will in our lives. God does not overpower our will. God does not come and say, Paul Miller, you're going to do this and this, and that's the way it is. You don't have any choice in the matter. No. God gave me, just like he gave you, the, the opportunity, the, an incredible privilege and responsibility when you think about it, to choose, make choices about life, the blessing of life that we have. What will we do with it? So just those words in John 7, 17 kind of set this up. And, and you see, as we go forward through these other passages, the, the, the idea of choice in terms of the will of God in, in that God chose to give us choice, you might say. But he wants to, us to obviously follow his ways. And then the, the second one, the will of God is for us to become whole. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Sanctified. Anybody want to care to put a quick definition on that word? <laughs> That's one of those churchy words, isn't it? Sanctified. Sort of like justified or reconciliation. Those big words that... And, and maybe you do understand that fairly well, but a, a lot of Christians, I think, that's, they kind of get the gist of it, but they couldn't put it into a quick sentence or you know, a catchy phrase that, that you know, describes the essence of that word. Sanctified is holy, set apart. Um, now, the, the, he goes on to say in this verse, to avoid sexual immorality, that is also God's will. So it's one of the evidences of being sanctified is that you're going to make choices in terms of your sexual self that honor God. And that is one of the most important areas. It's obviously not the only one. But in, in the text here from 1 Thessalonians 4, this is what Paul wanted to drive across to them. But you know, back to this word sanctified, it is often used um, somewhat interchangeably with the word holy or holiness. 
And that word can be difficult, even it has a feel of being almost standoffish or, you know, those are the holy people over there. Ooh, look at them. Or maybe, hopefully most Christians won't say this directly, but they might even feel like, you know, I'm holy. I have the holiness of God to, in, in a sense, to, to raise above others and I'm better than you because of it. That, that's not what the holiness of God is all about. And it's a very simple thing you can do with, with our own language. If you take the word holy and just add the, the W there, it's the same root. Whole. Does that give a better, a more aggressible essence to, to holiness? God doesn't want us to be holy in the definition of, you know, I'm in heaven and I'm perfect and I'm still hanging out here on earth, coincidentally. No, that's not it. Holiness is that you become a whole person, that, that you bring all of yourself, your whole self to God. And with, with all your blemishes and, and all your joys and sorrows, all your, your talents, all your abilities, all your experiences, all your relationships, all that is you, the whole you, you bring to God. So as we so the will of God is that we bring all of ourselves to Him. That's His will for us. And we don't leave anything out. We don't leave anything behind. We bring our goodness and say, Lord, I'm thankful that, that you've given me the ability to do this and, 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 and I've done some good things and I don't do that to, to earn your love. I do that to, to show that I love you. And for the, the wrong and the failures and the hurts that I have, I bring them to you and I, I ask you forgiveness and I ask you to give me the strength to ask those that I've hurt to forgive me. And, and, and the pain as much as I want it to go away and I've asked you for that and maybe it hasn't entirely yet, but I trust you with that. That's what the holiness of God is in us that we bring our whole self to him, and which obviously includes our sexual self. God created that. God made us human beings. He knows how we're wired. He knows how we work, and he knows how we work best sexually and relationally and every other way, and it's all about bringing your whole self to God. That is his will for you. He wants you to choose to bring all of you to him. The will of God is for our good actions to overcome foolish words. This scripture really jumped off the page when I looked this up, and it fits in so well today. So well, because there is a lot of foolish talk going on. There is a lot of foolish talk from people and places I never would have expected it just a few years ago. And it gets frustrating. And it can turn into contentious conversations, difficult conversations. And, and I think most of us just sort of have completely avoided those conversations because it never gets anywhere and it always seems to go worse. Whether it's about politics or about masks or vaccinations or, or, or so many other things related to the days that we're in, it just feels like instantly... People are forced to choose a side of 
of how we view all of that. And here's an answer in 1 Peter for how to deal with it. 1 Peter 2.15 For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Mm. He didn't say, I'm going to arm you with the right words and you're going to defeat them verbally. You're going to get into an argument and you're going to win. And at the end of the argument, they're going to change their mind. Praise the Lord, you gave me the words to say. Now, sometimes God does give us the words to say, okay? It's not like he never does that. But it specifically says here in 1 Peter that when foolishness is happening to people, especially people that we love and we care about, don't try to argue with them. Act good toward them from your heart. And even in conversation, sometimes that means just listening. And even if they're saying something that you don't agree with, be kind. Be patient. Be gentle. I very recently had a, a, a conversation that um, there, there was some passion there and there was some anger. And um, thankfully, I wasn't expressing it myself, but I, God gave me the grace to be patient and listen. And we've probably all heard the term of active listening. So, so listening is an action. Listening can be a good action. We listen with our eyes. We listen with our gestures. We listen with our body position. We, we, we engage with the way we are present before another person. That's all really important if you're able to have a conversation. So even if he or she is getting angry and sounding foolish, don't tell them how wrong or stupid they are, okay? <laughs> because that's wrong and stupid. <laughs> it just doesn't help. But act well in your listening and, and over the course of time that your, your good actions would convey to that person that you still love them even though you don't agree about something. You still love them even if you think they've made a very foolish choice or decision about something. You still love them. That's what the will of God is for us. And then more of the will of God. The will of God is to live in the now. James chapter 4, this passage is one of the more familiar verses used um, to describe or talk about the will of God. And I think sometimes it's, it's misunderstood. So let's go to James 4. I'm going to read um, four verses here, 13 through 16. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. 
I think what James is getting at here is to live in the now. As I shared with the boys a few moments ago, we can, we can make plans about today and tomorrow and much further into the future. And to a certain degree, that is, that is helpful and necessary in, in our lives. But we should never leave God behind in the planning. And if we are in a pattern of, of seeking out and living in the will of God, then each of our decisions about our plans will be kind of already there in, the, in His will. And how things pan out according to our plans and our hopes about our, our decisions and the things we're, we're, we're going to do and are doing, that is indeed in His hands, but we're already in His will if we have recognized that really I don't have a lot of control, Lord, but you do. I can make all the plans I want, but none of us are guaranteed tomorrow or next week or next year. And, and, and we, often we'll say that. It, it's, it's a humbling thing to say, and I think it's good from time to time to realize how fragile life is. And certainly these last two years have taught us that. Um, and I'm, I'm tired of the lesson. <laughs> but it's true. Life is fragile. But in other ways, life is fragile. And you might have noticed that I'm limping. I have to go get my knee checked tomorrow because I've had a sore knee for weeks. And I had an x-ray last week. Now I'm going to see an orthopedic um, doctor tomorrow. And that wasn't part of my plan. I, I didn't, you know, schedule this. Well, sooner or later, i got to have sore parts in my body. So, all right, just go with the knee, Lord. Uh, tell you what. Let's do it, and uh, can we hold that off until like 2025 maybe? Because i got a lot to do between now and then, Lord, so the bad knee is going to come then, and you can, you can just wait for that, okay? No, it's here now. So it's not whether or not my knee is good or bad or healed or not healed, whether or not I have to have surgery or just some kind of injection. I don't know yet. The doctor will kind of lead me in that tomorrow. But regardless of what the doctor tells me, I have to choose my attitude about my knee and what I do or don't do in the will of God. So the will of God isn't just whether or not I'm healed. The will of God is if you're healed or not, you're going to honor God, Paul. If you get what you want in prayer or not, are you going to honor God? And, and, and I think that's the essence of what this James passage is talking about here. Um, you know, If it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that. Now, that shouldn't be something that stifles us. It's, it's, it's more, as I said here, just in this moment, here's what you need to do. And sometimes it's fairly obvious, especially if it's a moral question. I'm not going to go this way because that hurts someone. That's not honoring to you, Lord, and I know that, and I'm going to go the other way. Other decisions aren't that obvious. Other decisions are, well, they're both good things. Which one should I do? And... I don't even know that the will of God is important there, like specifically this way or that way, when it's not a moral question. It's more that, you know what, in either one, I'm going to choose to honor God, no matter which way this goes, if, if I don't have control, or if I do have the choice, 
All right, this is what I'm going to do. It feels best, Lord, and you prayerfully go there. You know, and, and certainly God can intervene and, and, and stop you from something that you know, isn't best for you that you're not aware of at the time. Um, you know, I, I, I've shared before about you know, way back as a young man, I, I tried to talk God into all these girls I was going to marry. You know, <laughs> sometimes talk them into it too, you know. And it wasn't until he brought Linda into my life and everything flowed. Everything was right. And so I, I honored him by, you know, being patient enough to wait for Linda. And so this is, this is the essence of it. We shouldn't get stuck in making a decision because, well, which is your will, Lord? I just don't know. Well, if you don't know, then be patient. And just make a choice and let God lead you through it. And don't, here's another thing. Don't be afraid to fall and fail. I don't, I don't mean that we intentionally do so. We certainly don't plan to. But sometimes we, we're afraid to make choices because we're afraid of failure. Going back to where I started this message with our children. Our children need to fall and they need to fail from time to time. Our job as parents is to kind of manage the failures. So, so the, the impact, the implication of the failure is safe, safe enough. Safe enough where it's not going to be something life-altering, you know, in as much as we can control that. So they're going to fall and hurt themselves. You know, I told you not to run there before. You shouldn't have done that. Okay, they scrape the knee or, you know, it could be a little worse than that. But we, we have manageable areas of risk, I guess you could say, that, that parents, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, deal with. And, and so if we look at it that way, that child learns that they shouldn't have touched that hot thing because it hurts and they should have listened. And so God is our father. Sometimes we need to fall and fail at things to learn from the failure. And, and, and also, and this is, I think, the most important part of this, is to know that after I fail, God still loves me when you discipline your children and after you've had to discipline in, in whatever form of discipline you choose and you, is, is the way you, you do that, do you always say, I love you? Remind them that I love you. Okay, because your love is not contingent upon their behavior. You love them if they act up at school or not. You want them to, to be well and to be a good student and get along with their friends and listen to the teacher, but sometimes they don't. Okay, but you know what? I still love you. Give God that credit too. You know what, Paul Miller? Okay, that's the way you're going to go. All right. Well, I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm just going to tell you I love you. Now let's do better. And I've got a whole lot of let's do betters in my life, haven't you? from our Lord, our loving Father. So let's not get hung up about His will in the sense that it stifles us and makes us afraid to move forward. Because His will is right there. It's always a matter of choosing 
his ways, his love, which really leads us back to where we began with Romans 12. This, this passage is, is so beautiful because it, it, it gives us a path to follow to make the will of God more and more clear. Second verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And even that phrase, perfect will, we shouldn't let that intimidate us. It is, God's will has always been perfect, We, as humans, have always been imperfect. So we are imperfect people stepping into the perfect ways of God. For example, at the end of the, well, really in the middle of 1 Corinthians 13, when it speaks about um, love and what love is and what love is not, it says, after all those descriptions, love is, is perfect. That doesn't mean I'm incapable of love because I am imperfect. What it means is when I choose the way of love, I am walking in the path of perfection, not my perfection, but God's. When I choose the way of forgiveness, I am walking in God's perfect way, not my own. It is His working itself out through me. And, and all, of, all of the other, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the kindness and the, and, and the patience and the gentleness, all of that is evidence that I am, that's why I chose this photo on the picture, I, I am stepping into the light. I am following the light. And, and in as much as I'm doing that, I am walking in perfection. Not my perfection, but God's perfection. And so as I do that, then I'm in the light and the next steps become a little bit more clear and a little less difficult. And to, to, to know what he wants and what he doesn't want is, is more obvious or, or an easier decision to make. Because I'm already in the light, I can already see more clearly than when I was walking my own path, when I was walking in the darkness and making my own way and, and trying to create my own perfection, my own love, because I can't do that. But when I step into His ways, it becomes clear. And what it, it goes on to, to, to say there is um, in, in Romans 12 about how as we do this, then we learn to serve one another humbly. We learn to, to, to use the, the gifts that he has given to us in ways that will, that will grow and edify one another and, and reach more people that they would, they would see this love from God. So the will of God is discoverable through transformation. And transformation is the ongoing change in you from God as you submit to His will, as you choose His will, as you walk in the light, as it says in 1 John. 
this word transformation is one of the one of the most um, trying to find the right word impactful words I've ever read lessons I've ever learned from scripture when I understood what the word means the root of the word transformation in Romans 12 2 is the same root of the word metamorphosis that a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. So the change isn't just a small makeover, a light touch-up. <laughs> the change is enormous. Now, somewhere in that beautiful butterfly that was once a caterpillar, there is still some essence of that caterpillar. There, you know, the, the body of the caterpillar, to, to some degree, is, is still there, but all of the stuff that kept it just hanging off on branches and chewing on leaves and never able to leave into the great wide world of the meadow that it grew in, it's, it's still there, but it's so much more. This is what God wants for us. And the other aspect of that word is that it, it, it comes up just a couple other times in Scripture in reference to Jesus, when he went on the mountain, when he turned bright white and glowed, it says he was transfigured. It's really the same word in the Greek language as here, transformed in Romans 12. And you don't find it anywhere else. So, so our change should be, should be like Christ. And he goes on to talk about that in, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's in the third chapter, that he speaks of, or maybe second, but it's in Corinthians. He, he talks about... You know, like Moses coming off the mountain when he grew bright white and had to cover a veil over his face because people couldn't even look at him. That's what God is calling us into. A transformation that is so enormous and wonderful, we, we hardly recognize ourselves at some point. And others see us. It's still you, but wow, this is, this is a different you. It's, it, it's, you. You've grown wings. You've taken flight. You've, you're, you're, the, the, the color that God brings through you and, and the vitality, the vibrance of life that you can go far beyond what you ever would have been able to do if you left yourself there in your own will, like the caterpillar on the branch, just kind of happy sitting there getting fat on leaves, but never experiencing the transformative potential that God has given you inside to become so much more. That's what the will of God is for us. That's what He wants for us. That's why I, I, I get frustrated when, when we hear, when, when people look at the will of God like some kind of an enigma that they can't describe or understand or, or discover. Right here in the Word of God, these examples of scriptures that directly say the will of God is your ability to choose the will of God is that you that you become a whole person, bring your whole self. The will of God is that you can act out in ways that, that stop foolish talk. The will of God is that you can live now and, and, and trust God with all of your plans today and beyond. That's what it means to test and approve and to know His pleasing will. 
And then lastly, back to the Gospel of John once again, in the sixth chapter this time. Jesus says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and be raised up at the last day. His will is that we join Him in eternity. But remember, He gave us the choice. We have to choose Him. Choose Him in the now. And begin that walk, begin that transformation. And if you're in the sound of my voice in this room today, you're in the sound of my voice in this moment online, or maybe you're watching it later in the week, ask yourself that question. Do do you want to just stay like the caterpillar your whole life and not experience what God has given you? Or do you want to have eternity promised with Him? And we learn and taste on eternity in the here and now, preparing us for the wonder of what it will be. And I, I think that's another good comparison. Like life on earth, good, okay, we're, we're well fed and we're good, but life in heaven, whew, beyond what we can imagine. And this is all possible because the will of God is there for us to choose. Father, may we do so. And if anyone needs to choose the way of God, to choose the love of God, to choose the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, maybe this is your moment. Ask Jesus Christ to to come in, to touch you, to change you, to transform you, to begin that process. Or maybe you've done that before and you prayed that before and you meant it and you were sincere, but you've walked away and you've chose your own will again and again and again and it's brought you into some really bad places. The choice is still there, whether it is the first time or whether it is the hundredth time you're, you're going back to Him and you need to go back to Him. You need to commit yourself more deeply. So if that's where you are today, I... I just come to the Lord on your behalf and just implore you to go to Him. To ask Him to, to come into your heart and life and forgive. Ask Him to forgive you for the path that you've walked away from Him on. That the transforming love of God would be experienced and His will would be that much more clear step by step as that transforming power comes into you. But it is up to you. Choose the way of love through Christ. In His name, amen.